Ford. I'm Dan Kurtzke. And I'm Chad Vogelman. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 137. Yay, you got it right. You know, you're going to say that at the beginning of every episode. <laughs> every episode that you get it right, yes. Wow. So. So I won't, I won't be saying it often. Huh. Uh-huh. Moving right along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, we, do we have a, a topic tonight? Uh, we sure do. Yes, yes, we do. Why, why did you sound so timid in asking that question? Because I didn't get the memo, so I have no idea what we're talking about tonight. That's all right. You never prepare anyway. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> tonight we are going after this. This has been a long time coming. People have been asking for this for a long time. Seventy and years coming. Seven. Yeah, this is seventy-two years in the making. <laughs> we're we're taking an episode to spotlight the, the original Green Lantern. Alan Scott. Yeah, the Green Guardian of Gotham, the master of the fourth dimension, Alan Scott. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) His business card must have been huge. (laughs) For sure. It's not about the size of the business card. I think Batman's business card is just like a tiny bat signal. Just like shines it into the sky or something. Well, it's uh, it's Bruce Wayne, so I mean, it's probably made out of gold. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Which will probably give it away. It's like, who? Why is Batman giving away solid gold business cards? <laughs> it reflects all light. It blinds you as soon as you see it. <laughs> <laughs> it has razor sharp edges, so he can throw them at you like a weapon. <laughs> so, so if you didn't know, we were talking about Alan Scott tonight, and this is just the prelude to all the uh, in-depth material we have. Uh, we're we're going to lead off by talking about the history of Batman's business cards, and uh, from there, <laughs> Listen, we'll lead is, into what he wipes his ass with. <laughs> this, this is relevant in ways to which you do not understand. You know, actually, if you think about it, like, if he had... T- Oh, you're going to try and tie this in. <laughs> oh, seriously, if he had toilet paper that was in the shape of a bat, that would be completely inefficient for wiping You would your die. Ass. You would die. <laughs> Doesn't even have to be sharp. You would die. Oh, man. All right, so, hey, Alan Scott. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Green flame. <laughs> Allergic to wood. Yeah. Chad, this is something you. This is an episode you wanted to do more often than not. Talk, talk to the people about yeah, it. Yeah, we blame stuff. you. Oh, really? You blame me for keeping you honest about doing stuff you said you were going to do a long time ago? Uh, yes. Yeah, I'll go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me call the archives again. Oh. How do you have time for that? You have a job now. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I find time. Uh, if it if it means proving Jim Ford wrong on the air, I find time. <laughs> I, I think basically the problem is now he has to keep on re-listening so that he's always like, you know, that much more knowledgeable than Scott. Oh yeah, that's that's exactly that's that's what it is. God. Uh, we need, do we have like a a sound effects board yet? Because number one needs to be a cricket chirp for every time this guy tries to tell a joke. That, that is true. James, <laughs> James, make it happen. 
James, uh, instead of a chicken, uh, a chicken chirp. Instead of a cricket chirp. No, find a cricket chirp. Do a canned laughter. So that way, even if my joke is horrible, people will hear the canned laughter, and that will be funny in itself because it's making fun of me. Uh. So this episode sucks already. Let's talk about Alan Scott. <laughs> Let's do. Let's do. He made his yes. first appearance in, what was it, Zero Hour number zero? You're an awful human being. He first appeared in All American Comics number 16 in the year 1940. Uh, this month in 1940, actually. So this month marks the 72nd birthday slash anniversary, whatever you call it. Uh, for comics these days, of uh, Alan Scott as a character. Holy, holy shit, really? Yeah. God. July of July of 1940. It's almost like we planned it. We can't even plan this stuff. Oh, happy that's, birthday. That's awesome. Happy birthday, Alan Scott. Happy you're... birthday. Oh, God. <laughs> and you get on my case. You know what? You lose the right to get on my case. <laughs> what, for making a Frosty the Snowman reference? Yes. A bad versus snowman reference. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. Now, all right, so, Chad, do you want to take us through Alan's debut issue? Yeah, this is yeah. going to be exciting. Yeah, yeah I'll do that, uh, as long as we don't have to go through every every single volume and issue. But yeah, oh, no, I'll we, do are, that. we are doing both of these archive editions page by page, goddammit. It's <laughs> a man's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> all right um in uh all american comics number 16 uh written by uh, uh bill finger and art by mart Dellen, which is actually the pen name that martin odell used to um used to write under because at the time a stigma existed of working in comics and he wanted to break into the advertising business so he used the uh, the pen name Mark Dellen so he could still re- retain the respectability of his own name uh, as he searched for other work. Like creating but, uh, the Pillsbury Doughboy. Y- yes, yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. And uh, we open up with uh, Alan Scott and uh, a uh, uh, another individual named Jimmy uh, as they are uh, making the inaugural trek across a bridge built by uh, the company. Uh, that Alan Scott works for uh, uh, in the train, uh, in case I forgot to mention that. Uh, Suddenly, uh, the train crashes, uh, falls down into the canyon. The only one left alive is Alan Scott as uh, the Green Lantern that he was holding earlier in the panel. Um, Begins to speak to him, telling him he is the green, it is the green flame of life. Listen carefully to his tale. And... um, goes on to tell the history of the lantern uh, a meteor crashed in uh, old china and everyone uh, stayed away from it except for one man named chang the lamp maker and um uh, he took it home fashioned it into a lamp like uh, much like aladdin's lamp and the other villagers decided that uh his messing with this magical mystical meteor um, would somehow anger their gods, so they went ahead and killed Chang. But in the process, the um, green uh, lantern lamp uh, glowed bright, killing everyone in the room in retribution, uh, mm-hmm. thus um, bringing to life the first uh, 
prophecy that it well i didn't say that earlier it talked before <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah the key part to the whole green lantern mythos <laughs> first to it uh, three times i shall flame green first to bring life or first to bring death second to bring life and third to bring power so the first time uh it fulfills uh it's uh it's its first prophecy of death and then years and years and years later uh, it's brought to a uh, uh an old mr billings who's a an old guy who makes lanterns out of metals uh, who is in an insane asylum uh, and as he refashions this uh, lamp into a lantern uh, it glows bright and heals him of whatever uh, ailments he has that put him in the uh, insane asylum in the first place uh, so thus fulfilling the second to bring new life life um, to an individual. And then as it wraps up its story, it's highlighting Alan Scott's uh, recent predicaments and says, you know, I will give you power um, if you have faith in yourself and you lose that faith and lose the energetic, you lose the energetic power of the Green Lantern. For willpower is the flame of the Green Lantern. Uh, so... Uh, he uh, it tells him to make a ring out of a piece of it and recharge the and touch the ring to the lantern every once every 24 hours to shed light upon dark evil. Uh, and uh, as uh, he walks away from the wreckage, he uh, comes to the realization that Decker, the guy com- competing for the um, for the uh, bid to build the bridge that just collapsed and was sabotaged, uh, was prob- was uh, responsible for said sabotage so he goes home makes the green ring and um, then uh, phases into the wall uh, at uh, over at uh, Decker's place they take uh, he starts taking people out until one of them clubs him over the head with a wooden uh, mallet or club of some kind and uh, it dazes him for a little bit and then he uh, gets back up kicks some more butt and then takes Decker on a flight saying, I'm going to drop you if you don't confess. And then he tells him to, you know, sign his confession. And as he's signing, he goes, I'm signing, I'm signing, ooh, and then dies. Because the stress is too much for him. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, from then on, Alan decides he's going to shed light on uh, dark evil. And that wraps up that story. And give people heart attacks. <laughs> <laughs> you know... This, this has a lot in common with reading those early Hal Jordan appearances because they're unintentionally hilarious. I'm gonna lamp you out. Yeah. Well, like, like, like. Okay. What? All right. <laughs> Al, Al, like, Alan gets his ring and he flies around with it. Okay, you get something that can make you fly and you end up in the air. Fine, I can accept that. That's fine. Then. While he's flying, he wonders something that no human being in the history of forever would ever have any reason to wonder. I'm staring at that panel right now. <laughs> he's, he's, he's just hovering in midair, flying along, going, huh, I wonder if I have the power of going through the fourth dimension. So then, he, <laughs> then he just flies head first at a wall really, really fast. <laughs> he could have died right then and there. <laughs> the green splat. <laughs> oh, what about the fact that yo know, this after this lamp this lamp goes from old China or whatever it was 
And then there's just a captain that says, you know, one day it just appears outside of an insane asylum, and it's clearly in a garbage can, and a guard just gives it to some crazy person. <laughs> well, of course. Um, like, why did... I don't know. Yeah, what you call it? I want to do a little foreshadowing here. Oh, and by the way, we didn't say that we were going to spoil everything, did we? We're, spo- we're spoiling everything from the last 72 years. Okay, so... um there's a there's a quote in here when the guy that's in the insane asylum, like he's looking upon the lantern, and this is a direct quote as the light is shining on him. He says, "What's happening? I feel so queer." Oh God! Wow. I wonder if James Robinson took note of that. No, no, he didn't. I would hope. Not. I'm thinking. Uh, I'm thinking James Robinson took more uh, from the part where it says, I am the green flame of life. And then when he says, I am the green flame of life, I am the flame of life green as are the plants, the growing things. I think yeah. he might have taken more from that than uh, from the uh, the queer thing. I, yeah. I don't know. Like It's it's almost like a like a complete package. Like James Robinson really just went right back to like the whole beginning. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. You're jumping ahead <laughs> 72 years, Jim. What the hell? Know, Damn it, Jim. Baby, do you notice how cross? You notice how cross-eyed that crazy guy is? I love that panel. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! What a pretty green lantern! <laughs> it's like, thank goodness it winds, it lands outside of this insane asylum, and we just happen to have this inmate that specializes in making lamps out of things. <laughs> Out of lantern, out of, no lanterns out of lamps. Makes lamps out of other lamps. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. So that that was, man. <laughs> yeah, this is my first time reading Alan Scott's origin story. I don't know about the rest of you guys. No, I've read it before. Well, la dee da. You know, with this and all the stories. Immediately following it, it occurs to me, Alan Scott murders at least one person every story. <laughs> yep. He's like, he's not like Hal Jordan level where he'll cross the galaxy to find his victims, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Hal Jordan also, like, torments them before he murders them. Yeah. <laughs> Man. So does Alan. Yeah, he did. He kind of he picked that guy up, flew him through the wall, and almost dropped him <laughs> on a mountain range. <laughs> I love I love it when he says. Let me see where is where is it. He goes. If I must fight evil, uh, if I must fight evil beings, I must make myself a dreaded figure. I must have a costume that is so bizarre that once I am seen, I will never be forgotten. So this, <laughs> this is what he comes, this is what he comes up with. This is his, this is his like I will become a bat kind of moment. <laughs> well, so he went into a thrift store on drugs and just came out. <laughs> I love it. I love that the purple cape, the green tights, the uh, Wonder Woman inspired shoes. The red shirt and the the big smile on his face and blonde hair is 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 the costume that makes him a dreaded figure. <laughs> it's like I think this is just garish enough. 
you know, this story had me laughing by panel one. Because, like, the two, Alan and, um, what's his Jimmy. face? Jimmy are in the, or they're on the train. Jimmy says, you know, I'm worried Decker isn't the one to take it lying down. He'll try something. He's dangerous. And Alan's, he, he, he seriously says, nonsense. Just because my company bid to build this bridge was chosen by the government instead of Decker's is no reason for revenge. He won't try anything. And the very next panel is the train exploding. <laughs> <laughs> in that panel it almost looks like Alan is winking like you're gonna die <laughs> he didn't even explain why the, that lantern is there either well it's like, a train lantern is it? alright uh, yeah and that would probably be a good time to go into the origin of Green Lantern in actual reality how the character came about yes. um, Martin Nodell um was uh, trying to, you know, uh, make some money, just like anybody was back in the 1940s around the era of the Great Depression and such. Um, so, and, I, and, I, and I've got a, a long quote here, So, and, and I've taken it from a series of videos that I found on YouTube uh, from an interview in 1994 at a uh, Dallas convention of some kind. And I've posted those videos up on my blog over at Core Conjecture, uh, nothing, anything that I've really written uh, other than introducing the videos. But if you go to coreconjecture.blogspot.com, uh, you can find all five of those videos uh, on that post. Um, and it's it's really cool to watch. So just quoting uh, from that video, um, this is uh, Martin O'Dell talking. So seeing Superman and Batman, I went up to see a chap named Sheldon Mayer. And he was the editor of what eventually would become DC. Seeing Mare, he thought if I could come up with a good idea and a superhero, they had and they had some slack uh, with slack time with their printers. I so I had time. I don't know what that really meant, so I left and I left there, and there was no special encouragement from him. The point being that if he told that to me, then he would tell that to anybody else who came through the door, and certainly his friends. So I thought. I better uh, really work hard on something fast. If I make it, okay. If not, at least I've tried. I was interested in Chinese folklore and Greek mythology, and when you want to apply that to some creative effort, I felt there, that there could be something to that. The notes that I was making had to do with what I liked, but in going down to the subway station on my way home, there was a train man in the trough, and in those days they inspected the tracks manually. He was waving a red lantern for a train to stay out of the station. And all of this was going on as I was making notes, and pretty soon he was waving a green lantern, then hid behind a post as a train came in and doors opened, etc. But this green lantern thing to me just meant go, so that meant something. And so I wrote down green lantern. And I wrote down that, and it seemed to me that green meant go, and maybe that would mean something I could use. And the thought willpower came to me. And by the time I got home, I used Green Lantern as a working title, it seemed. It seemed to come to my mind as the most important thing. There was no other title that could even simulate something like that. So just by speaking with Sheldon Mayer and just brainstorming on a notepad on the way home and seeing what he saw around him, just so happened to be right place, right time, something stuck in his mind, and boom, Alan Scott. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, this could have all been completely different or not even happened if he had, like, walked instead of taking the train or something. <laughs> if he had taken a cab. <laughs> <clears throat> the yellow cab driver. It would have been a Doiby Dickles comic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe he came up with Doiby Dickles while he was taking a cab ride home. It's probably how it happened. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> The only other quote from this interview that I wanted to, to say on there is, is not necessarily a quote. Um, it's just kind of an idea I got when I was listening to the interview. Uh, I didn't quote him verbatim, but apparently there's been some contention in the past over whether or not the uh, original name for Alan Scott was going to be Alan Ladd. According to, uh, uh, as a takeoff of uh, Aladdin because of a lamp and the power of the lamp, etc., um, but according to Martin O'Dell in this particular interview, he says there was no connection to Alan Ladd. Alan Scott was always going to be the name. Yeah, I think the story I heard was that he basically just flipped through a New York City phone book until he found a couple names he thought sounded good together. Yes, that's a that's a story I read as well. Yeah, I love how how. Like, I love, like, hearing about stuff like that, because it's, it's so simple and so just random, and it became something bigger than they probably ever thought it would, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> well, it's a, it's a great story. I mean, I, if even even for, you know, the stuff we laughed at, it's it's got staying power. I like that. I mean, it's... It's a simple enough concept, and, you know, it, it came about, like, well, it came about in the golden age of comics, when people were, you know, just throwing ideas at the wall, and whatever stuck became a comic. Um, you know, nowadays, like, you have, like, a million people putting out comics. It's like, I don't know, how many, how many comics do they actually put out each month? Like, it's like hundreds. So... You know, like, you're no longer just, you know, trying to launch an idea. You're trying to compete with, like, you know, 50 other people that are launching an idea in the same month. So trying to come up with something original and simplistic that people have not seen before is is difficult. It's really difficult. And a lot of times nowadays it's just, like, it's broken down into genres and... You know, a lot of people are just like, you know, recycling, rehashing the genre. And sometimes you get, you know, some really cool takes on the genre, but, you know, it, it's not like it was back then where somebody could just be like, okay, well, here's a brand new hero with a brand new set of powers, you know, and, you know, you just created that on the way home from, from work one day. And, uh, and, and I, I identify with uh, Martin uh, in or Mr. Nodell, in, in the fact that he just had a hobby or was enjoying uh, something he was attracted to, which was uh, Chinese uh, literature and uh, and Greek mythology and such. Chinese folklore and Greek mythology. I mean, that's, that's something uh, almost uh, every uh, person in a creative genre uh, does things. Writers, artists, they take things that they enjoy and incorporate them uh, sometimes deliberately, sometimes subconsciously, it, it shapes the creation they come up with. And um, while I, I suppose the 
the Chinese folklore or whatever uh, doesn't really have that much to play, at least in terms of Alan Scott himself, uh, as opposed to the the Green Lantern. Yeah, it, it has something to play, but Alan Scott, not much. It's just cool to see someone taking what they love and incorporating incorporating it into something new. Yeah, the, the Chinese folklore thing <clears throat> almost felt unnecessary while I was reading this. I mean, I guess it's, I guess it was it was to explain why it was a lamp at first, but then they gave it to a guy who makes stuff into lanterns anyway. So <laughs> I don't know. You know, the thing <laughs> that seemed odd about it to me, like with as far as putting you know setting it in ancient China, like you really could have set it in any culture back then, you know, and it would basically turn out the exact same way so like i mean i can see that his you know his interest in you know chinese um mythology and stuff like that would have a, an effect as far as picking where the meteor landed but i mean honestly like you know, one of the one of the things that i keep looking at is that like the lamp like you said it's very much like aladdin's lamp and mm. you'll know, i mean like at this point the you know thousand and one you know tales um arabian nights yeah the arabian uh, arabian nights that's uh like that's very popular literature at this point so i mean like it seems almost odd that you would set this in china as opposed to setting it in persia you know where you could actually tie this into the concept of aladdin and his magical lamp if you wanted to tell stories about that later on. Mm. I mean, the one thing that I don't actually understand is, he, you know, he does make a point of referencing the Greek mythology, and that I really don't see at all. It's inspired in his costume. Uh, particularly the shoes and the sandals, the yeah. sandal look. Possibly the belt. Yeah. He, he did say, though, in that interview, uh, when he was talking about Greek mythology, one of the things he specifically mentioned was the shoes and sandals. Yeah, well, it's it's just like the Chinese thing, where it's, you know, it's there a little bit, but it's not an overtly large part of what he made. You know, it's, <clears throat> I mean, once, once Alan Scott gets the powers and the costume, he just kind of hits the ground running, fighting, you know. Smashing into walls. <laughs> Well, he's, yeah, he fights houses, but he also he also he, oh, he also fights like mobsters and pyramid schemes and people that run evil radio stations. <laughs> Secret messages and toothpaste ads. I know. I'll never trust toothpaste again. <laughs> um, just one of the things since we were talking, um, and and just just as a note here, we didn't mention this yet. This is not a comprehensive episode that lists everything that ever happened with Green Lantern. We're not claiming this to be a history of Alan Scott of in, in any way. This is just some highlights that we thought of that we wanted to talk about in our personal experience with the character. Um, so skipping ahead, just one issue, uh, skipping over uh, issue 17 of All-American Comics, I wanted to uh, hop into uh, All-American number 18 just to highlight something real quick. Um, this story... Uh, is a story of um, a kidnapping, uh, or not a kidnapping? That was the next. That was seventeen. Um, of of um, what would you call this one, Dan? Uh, 
Uh, <clears throat> which one? Is, is this the one where the guy falls off the giant ball? Uh, yes. I would call this one hilarious. <laughs> yes, the, the, and this is just to highlight what we were talking about earlier about the <clears throat> ridiculous stuff that happens, like comparing it to uh, Silver Age Hal Jordan. When he's flying towards a prison to talk with a guy who has supposedly been framed in this storyline, he is hurtling through the sky. Um, Cape clearly pulled over his face like... uh, (laughs) Like Dracula. (laughs) Like Dracula. (laughs) And the very next panel is the only way to enter that prison, other than, you know, breaking it down, doing, you know, going through a window, uh... Becoming invisible and walking past the guard. The only way is via the fourth dimension. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then later on when he is going after some bad guys in a car, he alerts them to his presence and tries to intimidate them into pulling over by simply sticking his hand in front of the windshield and showing them his ring so they know it's Green Lantern. They promptly crash the car into a building. <laughs> <laughs> they do. A guy, uh, the 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 guy uh, says something <laughs> to the effect of, you know, don't don't hurt these people. Um, uh, later on, there's some kind of kidnapping involved. That was right. That is that's the story. <laughs> and he says he's kidnapped. Uh, he's kidnapped my small daughter, as opposed to his big daughter. Or yeah, his, they say his, his young daughter. <laughs> no, his his small daughter, <laughs> not the medium sized one. The one that's just right. No, no, it's the little one. Uh, and right underneath that panel, speaking of uh, a, a Silver Age appearance of Hal Jordan, where Hal Jordan rec- re- performs brain surgery, yeah. um, apparently Alan can shine this ring really brightly into someone's face, and it it is so bright and uh, powerful that it translates the thoughts in their heads into word thought balloons he can read above <laughs> the guy's head. He's clearly looking at the word balloon above the guy's head, too. It's amazing. <laughs> and reading his thoughts to figure out where the, the child is so he can rescue her. Well, my, my favorite part of the issue is the very next page, where he's he stormed in the, to save the small daughter, and <laughs> the one thug is like, why didn't you die? You should be dead! Because he just shot at him, it didn't work. And he just... He's st- Green Lantern stomps towards the guy and yelling, I'm too busy to die! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and then the very, very last panel, where he's clearly staring at that girl's chest. <laughs> oh, creepy. Well, how about that? well, immediately before that, he makes his one token murder of the issue. And... <laughs> Like he fight, they're at like the World's Fair. I think it was the second ever World's Fair, and the last remaining thug is on top of this giant World's Fair globe, and Alan just grabs him by the leg and throws him off of it. And as he's laying there dying, Alan's like, "You're dying before you pass out. Why not do one decent act? Confess you framed that guy in jail." And he's like, "Uh, okay, I framed him." Uh. And it's okay, it counts, because there is somebody in a blue shirt writing it down. <laughs> I guess that's all you need. He not, I guess he didn't actually have to say it. They could have just written it down and said, here, he said it. <laughs> uh, and they also try and 
force. <laughs> you, you know the the Hal Jordan Green Lantern Carol Ferris love triangle thing they have going in the early uh, Silver Age. Yes, and here yeah. we go. <laughs> yeah, well they try to set that up here, but I don't think anybody but Alan knows. <laughs> because like this woman, what's her name again? She she was introduced at the beginning of this issue. Um. She comes back later in the 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 toothpaste thing. Yeah, I can't find her name. <clears throat> oh man, I gotta pull up my archive issue. And speaking of archives issues, as we try to find this, that's probably the best way to get this material reprinted uh, uh, for any kind of good value. This, these uh, archive editions go for fifty bucks retail. Uh, I got my both of mine for <laughs> half price, so I spent fifty for two volumes. Yep. Um, and uh, it is reprinted full color uh, and uh, in chronological order. Uh, and there's two volumes, and I don't think there is a third one. So, yeah. uh, or there ever will be a third one. Isn't this everything? This is yeah. This is the only ones they've made. Yeah, this is this isn't everything, but it's it's the only <laughs> ones they have made, and they haven't. It's been a while since the the second one came out. So, um, yep, they're not saying her name, <clears throat> but uh, she she pops up as like a kind of love interest to Alan, who, in his mind, loves Green Lantern. I don't know if she actually does. Irene Miller. There you go. Because, yeah, in this last panel, she's like, the Green Lantern, how I'd love to meet him and thank him. He's marvelous. And Alan just says, well, if you ever meet him, it'll be two marvelous people getting together. But meanwhile, how about me till he comes along? And he looks so pissed off. <laughs> As he's staring straight at her tits. <laughs> God. Man. I promise you, he is. This isn't—he's—he's he's staring straight at him. <laughs> uh, uh, ni- 1940, everybody. <laughs> now let's talk about Alan's powers because, <clears throat> just like, yeah, just like with Hal and everything, like they're—they're they're figuring out what this ring can do, but they're taking their time with it. So he can—he can fly. He can phase through stuff via the fourth dimension. Uh, <clears throat> He can turn your mind into thought bubbles. <laughs> um, what did he do? He he. Oh yeah, he has melt a uh, steel. yeah. He has a laser beam that can melt steel. Uh, oh, he uh he projected a hologram of a ghost at one point. I, I maybe that's a construct. I don't know. And I think he made an invisible energy shield at one point in these in here too. Yeah. <clears throat> but they're yes, they're still okay. No, yes, he did. I'm just saying. He, he, it, the, the panel, he just swings his arm around in a wide circle in front of him. <laughs> and, and then the next panel, they crash into this light barrier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so they're very firmly in the, in the realm of magic ring as opposed to, you know, putting a real emphasis on the energy that comes out of it or anything. All right. And uh, we're not going to cover everything because there's, there's, but uh, there's a few few things of note to mention here. We'll just throw in a couple points. Um, but if we're going to talk Golden Age Green Lantern, I think we should talk about the character that appeared less than a year or a year later. Uh, his sidekick, Doiby Dickles. Ah, uh, yes. The uh, rotund, as as uh, as uh, Wikipedia puts it, the uh, rotund. Brooklyn taxi driver. Yes. Yeah, he appeared in All American Comics issue 27 in 1941. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, the, uh... <laughs> and then he was gone a year later. Just about. <laughs> he wasn't very popular. Don't worry, he comes back, though. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, he was... What was his backstory? His story was something like he, um... Uh, he... He was follow. He followed Green Lantern. And he followed some crooks or something and saw Green Lantern fighting him. And I think he he dressed up as Green Lantern himself to try and scare some criminals away. And Alan Scott just kind of said, "said You know, I like the cut of that guy's jib. I want him as my partner." And he left him a note saying that he couldn't just you know tell him. <laughs> and from there on, Doiby was a uh, Alan's driver and confidant. Yeah. And uh, in 1948, the world was introduced to the canine sidekick named Streak. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and if you can believe it, he was so popular, he got his own series of solo adventures. <laughs> uh, I think uh, I think uh, Martin O'Dell came up with Streak while he was walking home one day and happened to part in a junkyard talk. Yes, we're um, we're going firmly under the assumption that Martin O'Dell just wrote down everything he saw and put it into a Green Lantern comic. <laughs> On his way home from work, he saw a lot. He apparently saw lots of mob-related murders. He went to the World's Fair. Someone died. Oh, a Green Lantern can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Not catch the person that did it. He can be the murderer. Uh. <laughs> um, well, as long as we're talking about characters that teamed up with Green Lantern early on, we should really mention that. Uh, Alan joined the Justice Society of America later in 1940 in uh, All-Star Comics number three. Uh, he actually left with number seven because, because that's when his own solo series titled Green Lantern started up. Uh, at this point, DC had that policy that any time a character got a solo series, they could not be part of a team book because... That was considered, you know, valuable real estate to show off even more characters who didn't appear elsewhere. Uh, that policy went away by 1944, but to tell you the truth, I kind of miss it today. It's like kind of, I like that mindset of like, you know what, this person's getting shown off over here, so let's use the space for somebody else. Like that's why, um, like Superman and Batman were only ever honorary members of the JSA. They never really appeared in the book or went on any adventures when they did. <clears throat> yeah. Let's see here. What else we have for this time period before his uh thing is uh he got canceled for and went away for twelve years. Um let's see. Uh in uh, in uh in nineteen forty nine uh Green Lantern was canceled. Uh he had the solo series after thirty eight issues. Um, and uh, All-American Comics dropped superheroes altogether uh, in 1948 in favor of Westerns, and I had a hunch about why, so I looked it up, (laughs) and uh, that was because uh, a popular television show that ran from 1949 to 1957, The Lone Ranger, came out in 1949, and uh, so Westerns were big among kids back then, Um, so... All-American tried to go with a crowd. And uh, his final Golden Age appearance was in All-Star Comics number 57 in 1951. And uh, again, according to Wikipedia, he would remain out of publication for 12 years. Yeah. I think also a contributing factor 
to superheroes declining was the end of World War Two, because all of a sudden you had all these these real life, real world heroes coming home, and all of a sudden you really didn't need a whole host of fictional ones to to occupy your time and take your mind off of the war anymore. So, <clears throat> well, um, the other thing is with the war being over, like the war played a you know a big part in comics of that time, so. You know, like when you have Captain America punching out Hitler, you know, once people realize, like, well, wait a second, you know, he's been dead for quite a while now. What are these characters still doing? I guess, yeah. I guess that was before they decided to, like, you know, really amp up the supervillain quotient to, you know, make up for that. Yeah. Now, going back a little bit, uh, there's some other not- notable appearances that I wanted mm-hmm. to bring up, because... Um, uh, you know, at least in the the material I read, I didn't see Alan fight anybody but regular people who you can kill by throwing off the World's Fair. But he had uh, quite a couple, quite a couple, exactly two. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, kind of big name villains that went on to kind of transcend Green Lantern and just mm-hmm. be DC Universe villains. You had Vandal Savage, who first appeared in Green Lantern number 10 in 1943, who's actually a Martin Nodell creation. I think I guess he passed a caveman one day. <laughs> it was a guy that didn't shave for a while. He saw Alan Moore. That was great. Um, Solomon Grundy first appeared in All American Comics number sixty one in nineteen forty four. Uh, I think that <clears throat> uh, that was actually a uh, a team up between Alan and Doiby to take out Solomon Grundy. <laughs> Uh, speaking of World War II, Alan fought on America's behalf in the war as part of the Justice Battalion, which was kind of a temporarily tweaked name for the Justice Society, uh, until they introduced the idea that uh, superheroes couldn't go into Nazi Germany because Hitler possessed the Spear of Destiny, which would put any good guy under Hitler's control if he got too close. Because they had to cu- invent a reason why Superman couldn't just fly to Germany and end the war in an afternoon. It's it's funny because the spear of destiny is like that's the uh, the spear that pierced Christ's side while he was up on the crucifix. It's funny because it really is a Deus ex machina. <laughs> Thank God he didn't have the pick of destiny. <laughs> I have that. In fact, you have the pick of destiny. Yes, I, I was literally <laughs> just yesterday going through uh, some bins with uh, some comics and stuff like that, and I have like the special edition of that album that comes with a replica of the pick of destiny. Oh well, as long as it's just a replica. I didn't like the pick of destiny album. I like the new one that just came out, the Rise of the Phoenix. That's great. That's a great album. Yeah, I, I wasn't big on the album either, but I did want the pick. Yeah. Right. Oh, but instead of going off into the tenacious yeah. D tangent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Sportsmaster villain who used he basically walked into a sporting goods store, walked out, and started making crime. He first appeared in All American Comics number eighty five in nineteen forty seven, and I I mentioned him because out of all of the villains in the DC universe, the creators of the Young Justice cartoon latched on to this guy as <laughs> one of their prominent recurring main villains for the show and it's insane he has aged well let me tell you i think he he's coming to his own more today than he has in the last 70 years <laughs> um 
didn't he also feature prominently on the uh, Brave and the Bold cartoon as a villain? Possibly. I didn't see all of that show. He he his well his doppelganger at least uh, was a main villain in one of the JLI episodes or JLU one of the two. Oh, the Green Guardsman. JLI. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. An alternate universe uh, kind of uh, analog. take on uh, an- yeah analog of uh, Alan Scott, the Green Guardsman. Yeah. Uh, legal stuff. <laughs> So in 1947, we got Flash Comics number 89, which is the first appearance of Rose and Thorn. This woman, this is one woman with two personalities, one good, one evil, and she's important because she would eventually be be revealed in Air Bunnies as the mother of Alan's illegitimate children, Jade and Obsidian. Uh, Speaking of Alan's... Wives, (laughs) Wives, <laughs> the original Harlequin first appeared in All American Comics number eighty nine in that same year. Both same year issue eighty nine of both books. <laughs> and this is Molly Maine, uh, the one who would eventually drop the costume villain thing and marry Alan without being crazy, <laughs> without having any illegitimate kids. <laughs> and... They never did have any kids, did they? No. And they were together basically up until, like, for as long as as uh, this, this version of Alan Scott, the original version of Alan Scott has existed, those two have basically stayed together. <clears throat> um, I think the only other villain I have noted here is the original Icicle, who appeared in All-American Comics number 90, also in 1947. 1947 was really evil for All-American Comics. Uh, this villain... Like, he was basically your, like a precursor to Mr. Freeze or Captain Cold or something. He was like a, a scientist guy who had an ice gun and his cold suit. And, <clears throat> and, like, he would basically, like, he would show up everywhere. He would show up in the Justice Society as a villain. He would show up on cartoons. He was in the uh, JSA episodes of Smallville. Mm-hmm. Like, this, like, Icicle, like, for a bad guy that nobody really knows... He's everywhere. I just want to mention him. And you mentioned Streak. And... Yeah, that takes us up, up through the cancellation after 38 issues in 1949. <laughs> and and as we all know, later on in uh, 1959, uh, Julie Schwartz uh, approached uh, um, was it, uh, Gil Kane and... Uh, and they uh, reinvented Green Lantern into Hal Jordan, the guy we know now. Uh, we don't have to go into his backstory. You know it by now. <laughs> and Alan Scott uh, reappeared as a guest star in The Flash 137 in 1963. Um, and uh, that's when they came up with this parallel universe thing. I'm not quite sure if Flash 137 is the Flash of Two Worlds story or not. Uh, that, um, is, that is Flash 123. 123, okay, so 123 introduced the concept of a parallel universe where, uh, wherein Alan Scott, the JSA, and, um, and it, for Flash fans, Jay Garrick resided. Uh, and that kind of birthed a, 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 a universe idea. And then Alan Scott finally reappeared in Flash 137 along that same line. But it wasn't until a certain issue, which I am very proud to say I own, Green Lantern number 40 
um, that uh, he uh, reappeared in the Green Lantern title alongside Hal Jordan in a, an issue that introduced the not only the origins of the Guardians, but the origin of a villain named Krona and a, and a concept known as the multiverse. Yes. Yeah, this, those Flash... Like, like honestly, the we owe so much to the Flash, it's not even funny. The, like, that was the first, like, Silver Age sci-fi youthful revamp that happened and it really took off it was a huge hit so they did it with other characters and that's how we got Hal Jordan and all that but for a long time like the flash like the flash after flash of two worlds kept he would every now and then pop back over to earth 2 to go on more adventures and like it, it's out of that we really got you know the um the annual JLA JLA uh, JLA JSA team ups that happened once a year uh beginning with Justice League of America 21 in 1963, where Crisis know, one, on Earth 2. Yeah, where one uh, one team would hop dimensions to help the other out, and you know, Alan was almost always part of the group and always got the chance to team up with Hal before ever showing up in like the Green Lantern book proper, and you know, it just it it literally and figuratively opened the door to have have uh, this set of characters and Alan Scott continue to have stories told about them it's it's such a such a nice clean way of you know keeping all your stories you know happening you know everything's relevant it's just that you know it's happening in a different universe yeah i mean it kind of i always thought it felt like they were getting a little shortchanged by being called earth two (laughs) instead of earth one because they were first but, you know. Earth 1 and Earth A. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, the they would later retcon in the reason for the JSA going away for so long as being um, the House on American Activities Committee with the government was demanding that they unmask themselves in front of Congress. So they chose to just quietly retire instead. Uh, that would be the first of many times the JSA would go away, as we'll see here today. Um, now, I don't know about you, Chad. Some, I think something just roared at Chad. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. I don't know about you, Chad, but my my notes jump from 1963 to 1983. <laughs> uh, actually, Alan Scott would go on to continue... Uh, in the uh, Green Lantern series once or twice uh, here or there, uh, fighting alongside of Hal Jordan. Um, and his next appearance after uh, 19, uh, af- after uh, Green Lantern number 40 uh, was five issues later in another issue I also own <laughs> in a uh, Green Lantern number 45. Uh, can the doubled might of two Green Lanterns prove a match for Prince Peril's power play. Probably. Um, I remember the cover. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. Uh, uh, but it, it just it it just illustrates that the idea of a multiverse quickly caught on, and uh, that'll become a factor which we will see as a theme throughout this character's history as we go forward. Yes. And so so between now and. 
the eighties point that uh, Dan is about to reach. Um, Alan Scott became a continuing character in, you know, any any other stories besides not just the Green Lantern titles, but in you know, the you know other titles like JSA or um, let's see what uh, All Star Squad, uh, All Star Comics, and uh, other such uh, incarnations. Yes. That was and the Justice Sorry. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, this next thing I was I was really surprised to learn. Uh, Jade and Obsidian made their first appearance in All Star Squadron number twenty five in the year nineteen eighty three. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I thought they were older than that. Well, not like I thought they were around earlier than that. Like I looked at them, like I'm the same age as Jade and Obsidian. That's weird. <laughs> Well, if you look at the art style, I don't blame you for thinking it's older than that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the first appearance of Jaden of Sibian, the the art looks uh, distinctly not not even '80s quality. It looks it looks uh, younger than that, or, or older than that rather. Did that take yeah. place on Earth too? Uh, yeah, it would have to have. Right. Because they um, they like their storyline when they first showed up and joined that team was um. You know, the you know Alan didn't know about their birth, and they never knew their father. But they, you know, once they start, once Jade started manifesting superpowers, they kind of figured, you know what, maybe that guy with the same powers is our dad. So they want they wanted to get close to Alan Scott because they thought he might be their father. And um, I don't know, it's it's so weird. Like I always think of like Jade and Obsidian and the All Star Squadron as being so tied to the JSA that I just. I, in my mind, I think of them as Golden Age characters when they're very much not. <laughs> um, right, and I think that brings us up to 1985, Yay! Where, <laughs> where Crisis on Infinite Earths comes along and merges, among other things, Earth 1 with Earth 2, allowing Alan Scott's career to exist in the same world as our buddy Hal Jordan's only one generation earlier. <laughs> Now, now is the time when I'm going to throw throw this to Jim because it's t- I think it's time we explain what the Star Heart is because I think that's when uh, right about when this starts uh, being a factor because now they have to start explaining things. Uh, well, did they explain things right away? I think they no. Actually, I think they waited. I honestly can't remember because I did a lot of research on this and I cannot for the life of me find any real information on when... I, I specifically went hunting for Starheart retcons. I could not find when they happened. I have a vague idea in my head, but I don't know when it first started showing up. Okay. The way that I think it went down was you had everything get merged due to the crisis, and like almost immediately afterwards, DC decided that they wanted to take them completely off the table by doing, what is it, the last tale of the JSA? Yeah, almost, yeah, exactly, it's crazy, I wrote it down the exact same way you said it, almost immediately after the crisis, DC decided to get rid of the JSA by sticking them in another dimension, where they have to fight the Asgardian Ragnarok over and over and over again forever. Right. Uh, It was in 1986. Right, so, you know, like, you have this, this, uh, story trope where, you can access these characters anytime you want. Anytime you want to tell the story, you have access to them in these alternate universes. But 
DC says, you know what, let's make it simpler. We'll put everything together in one universe. And then immediately afterwards, they completely took them off the table. Said, you know what, we're not going to tell any stories about them. So you didn't have to tell any stories about the Starheart or anything like that. Um, and then you fast forward, I guess it was like five years later, to Armageddon 2001. Uh, it was uh, Armageddon Inferno. Let's see. Just oh yeah, 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 uh, yeah. That was when the JSA came back. Right. Or well, they didn't really come back. They put out a well. All right. First, DC tested the waters in 1991 with a JSA miniseries telling an untold tale, kind of flashback story. Uh, that renewed fan interest, and then the same year, DC put out Armageddon Inferno, which, you know, your buddy, Wave Rider, literally pulled the team out of limbo in every sense of the word and put them back into the DC universe. Yeah, and actually, that, uh, that miniseries of the JSA, like, I didn't read the whole thing, but, like, when I was first getting started in comics... Like I remember, I remember picking up the uh, cover with the flash on the cover, because um, it just looked really cool, and I love that story. And you know, being with food stores and trying to find comics month after month, it's not exactly the most regular situation. So I never actually did find out how that story ended. But uh, <laughs> in any case, so yeah, so they pulled him out of out of limbo, and I believe they decided to become the Justice League Reserves. Yeah, that was kind of a kind of a downer kind of ending <laughs> of the series. Actually, I think that's... well. That was either after that or after the end of the next series, because the, the JSA got in a brand new ongoing series again. Uh, started with Justice Society of America number one in 1992. Uh, it was promptly cancelled three issues later. And as with Green Lantern Mosaic, the series got the chance to squeak out a 10-issue run before disappearing. And actually, the reason for the book ending so quickly is that um, the editor, Mike Carlin, was quoted as saying he didn't think that elderly superheroes were the kind of thing DC should be uh, publishing. And this was what year? 92. Uh, we passed a, a key issue oh, please. Uh, in 19... 19- December of 1991, uh, Green Lantern number 19. Oh, that's yeah. the explanation. <laughs> what? Yeah. That's the of Starheart. That's the Starheart. That oh. that's the issue where they actually brought Martin O'Dell back to do mm-hmm. the art. Um, they they came up with the story that in order to integrate Alan, you know, into the larger Green Lantern mythos. Um, while keeping him separate, the story that they came up with was uh, Alan Scott was not Earth's first Green Lantern, um, which we know that anyway from the countless other Earth Lanterns that have popped up from you know time to time in the past. But way, way, way back when in ancient China, as it turned out, <laughs> there was a Green Lantern. Uh, his name was Yalan Gur. He was basically like a dragon-like alien. And uh, he was the Green Lantern for Earth Sector, 2814. And he basically, you know, went the Sinestro route and 
ruled everybody with an iron fist. The Guardians saw this and said, it's like, oh, we can't have that. So they changed his weakness from yellow to things made of wood, uh, because that's what the peasants' weapons were made of, so they'd actually be able to overthrow him. Uh, this is also back when the, you know, the impurity was, you know, something that supposedly the Guardians, you know, controlled and they can put in and take out. And it was not, it had nothing to do with the fear monster or anything. Yeah. This was slightly pre-Parallax. Yes. Slightly. Yeah. <laughs> 30 issues or so. Yeah. So, well, actually 30 issues till, till the original Parallax. Quite a few issues till new Parallax. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so the peasants end up destroying and you know, you know, murdering Yalengar. Uh, his spirit, <laughs> his spirit goes off into space, and it it merged with the Starheart, um, which was a like a collection of all the random magic in the universe, um, also created by the Guardians, um, and so you have like this. Green Lantern kind of sentience and power-based, you know, ring and power source, whatever, merging with magic. So, you know, it wasn't really Green Lantern, but it was kind of related to Green Lantern. So he became kind of like an honorary member of the Green Lantern Corps without actually having to do any of the duties or anything. Yeah, duties. And didn't they recon it to say that uh, that was Yalinger's voice talking through the lamp? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually have the the color guide to that page uh, with Yalengar. Nice. And um, just so we're so we're being thorough. Don't forget, number nineteen is also where we learn that Doy B. Dickles has his own planet that he's king of. Oh yes. I'm trying to. Read. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Where every, where everybody talks like him too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he like that's like some cultural contamination right there because over time he kind of made that planet resemble his his uh, neighborhood in Brooklyn. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, don't worry, Jim. He'll be coming up again soon. <clears throat> uh, so yeah, that happens, and then JSA gets canceled again, <clears throat> and that brings us to 1994. <clears throat> Emerald and Twilight. Em- Emerald Twilight. Green Lanterns 48 through 50. Haldron goes nuts, crazy bonkers, destroys the Guardians in the core. Immediately after that, Alan Scott goes with Guy Gardner and some other heroes to Oa to confront Hal. And this was in Guy Gardner Warrior numbers 18 through 21. It was a storyline called Emerald Fallout. It goes about as well for them as you'd imagine. <laughs> and that actually leads... I think the next time Alan shows up after that is immediately before Zero Hour, where um, it's right after Kyle's confronting Major Force for killing Alex, and he returns home to his apartment, and Alan, like a creepy pedophile, is waiting for him in the shadows in a cloak. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, he gives Kyle this brief history lesson with a uh, visual montage explaining... You know what's at stake, what the Green Lantern Corps is, who Hal Jordan is, and says, you know, we might need you soon. Don't know when. Might be soon. Oh, hey, it's now. And then, then zero hour happens. Uh, so yeah, 1994, 
DC publishes Zero Hour, which we did an episode about in Lantercast number... <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, again, forcefully got rid of the JSA by killing or injuring half the team. Uh, Alan, for some weird reason, was left youthful and unharmed. <laughs> um, was he left youthful? Or was yes. he... He wasn't aged yes. at all? Nope. He got hit by, like, a a beam that advanced time, but it only advanced it 24 hours to kill the charge in his ring. Oh, that's it. And what you call it? Now, the interesting thing about that was the person that wiped out most of those JSA members was Extant. Mm-hmm. Um, and Extant was a character that was the monarch from Armageddon 2001 merged with a version of Wave Rider. So... There's a little bit of irony that Wave Rider was the one that pulled him out of limbo, and uh, Wave Rider also contributed to the character that destroyed most of the JSA. And our in, our uh, coverage of Zero Hour is in Lantern Cast episode number 94, where we're joined by Adam Murdera from Comic Geek Speak. Oh, yeah. Thank God. I was just trying to find that, too. <laughs> Not me. Um. <laughs> I figured 20 of you guys would look it up. Yeah. So after Zero Hour... Alan would show up now and then as a guest in the Kyle Rayner Green Lantern series. Um, DC still wasn't quite sure what to do with him, as they still wanted to make sure Kyle Rayner was the one and only Green Lantern, so Alan saw a pretty frequent reinvention. You know, they, they kept bringing the Starheart back and using it, its encounters as a chance to, to explain why Alan's powers became internalized, why Alan's costume keeps changing, why his age keeps fluctuating. At one point, I think, I can't remember what book it was, I couldn't find it, but at one point it's even revealed in Air Bunnies that Alan's entire body is now made of the green flame, and he'll only age or get sick if he wills it or believes it can happen. That was either in the quarterly, Green Lantern Quarterly, or in the uh, Heart of Darkness? Yeah. He had that, um, he did have a, an ongoing feature in the Green Lantern Corps quarterly. Forgot about that. Love that series. Yeah, he had a bunch of run-ins <laughs> with the Starheart in that. Yeah. Oh, Starheart. So let me ask you guys, do you guys like the con- I, th- I feel like we've had this conversation already, but I don't care. Do you guys like the Starheart? Mm, to some extent. You both had the same guttural groan at the exact same time. <laughs> you know, you know what it is. Like, I like the idea. Like, I always liked the fact that his powers were magic based. Yeah, no, that's fine. Like that—that that was always, you know, one of his, you know, draws for me. Um, but, you know, and to you know make it the Star Heart, which is you know this you know magic gemstone flying through space that was created you know, by the Guardians. Um, you know, I think it's interesting that it ties, you know, ties Alan into the rest of the Green Lantern mythos. He has that connection, but it's nothing so strong that, you know, he's a member of the Green Lantern Corps. Uh, the problem that I've had with the Star Heart is that the Star Heart should never have been sentient. Yeah. Like, any story where the, the Starheart becomes sentient, you know, it, it seems to me like you're basically ripping off the Dark Phoenix saga. Yeah. Um, and it just it creates these, these boring non-stories, because you always know that Alan is going to 
you know, defeat the Starheart. So it's just like, I don't know, it was like this boring, you know, like if they ever did it where the Starheart like subtly changed his personality and not like it just made him into an asshole, (laughs) you know, then maybe it might be intriguing, but I don't, I don't think that the, the concept of the Starheart was like treated as well as it should have been. Yeah, well, there are stories with there are stories of the Starheart though that don't involve Alan at all, or for the most part. For instance, there is the um, oh, what was it? I just read recently the uh, Superman Green Lantern Legend of the Green Flame. Yeah, the is that it? Neil Gaiman story. Yes, I think. yes, um, and where they basically uh, it's got a story where Superman and Hal are dragged into hell. Um, for a little bit, some crap goes on. It's just this whole game with the Starheart. They talk to Deadman. They talk to Phantom Stranger, which is pretty much the reason I got the pretty much the reason I got the book. Um, and uh, the the Starheart, uh, or I don't think it I don't think it calls itself the Starheart, but it's a sentient uh, power from Alan's Lantern uh, that they talk to and uh, confront in that storyline, which I thought was pretty good. Yeah, we should cover that at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Starheart just seems to me like, <clears throat> like both both the Starheart and the Yalinger thing. Like I thought they were kind of cool at first, but the, after a while they just started to seem too overly complicated. <laughs> you know, like like do they really need to to be connected to the Green Lantern Corps? Does he really need to? Well, I mean, <clears throat> the the thing. The, the reason why you want to have some kind of connection there is because when you have the Flash, like, you can have a Flash in the Golden Age, and you can have a Flash in the Modern Age, and they can have gotten, you know, received their powers completely different ways, but the fact of the matter is, if you, you know, you run, like, a bolt of lightning, you, you can call yourself the Flash, and nobody's going to question why there's two characters that look completely different you know, who have, you know, different origins are called the same name. Now, the Green Lantern, if you have them both on different universes, then, you know, their power sources, their origins can be completely different, have nothing to do with each other, and it's just, you know, the luck of the draw, you know, you got your name and I got mine, and we just happen to pick the same thing. But when you integrate them into the same universe... You know, you have somebody called the Green Lantern, and then you have another guy called the Green Lantern, and your powers have nothing to do with each other. Like, it's just like, you know, it it does get a little confusing. It does make you wonder, like, why the hell did he call himself Green Lantern also? So you have to, you have to kind of justify it somehow. Yeah, I can, I mean, I can, I can see that, but at the same time, I feel like, as long as they go with the story that Alan came up with his before the existence of the core was even known to humankind, then that's enough of a vacuum for me. You know, I mean, like, like, <clears throat> I mean, look how, look how Martin O'Dell came up with the idea in, in the first place. He just happened to be walking along one day, saw a lamp that was green, and was like, "Huh, Green Lantern." Like, I can buy Alan could have, like, a little moment, like, hey, this thing, this lantern's glowing green. Hey, Green Lantern, why not, you know? Well, I mean, another way that they could have handled it, like, if they if they really wanted to tie him in without, 
you know, changing his origin. Like, before he, you know, got his powers or whatever, maybe he, you know, was doing something and Abin Sur ended up saving his life. And, you know, like, he ends up talking to Abin Sur and, you know, he's, like, really inspired. But before Abin Sur leaves, you know, he, like, wipes his memory. But, like, there's that, that trace, you know, residual, you know, it's like, oh, I'm Green Lantern, you know, in the back of Alan Scott's mind. So that when he gets this green, you know, em, you know, green flame power, and he has to come up with a name, it's already in his head. He just doesn't realize, you know, where it came from. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I, either way, the Starheart eventually basically became nothing but a plot device. Yeah. Over and over and over again, which was the direct response to DC not knowing what the hell to do with Alan and his contemporaries. Uh, <clears throat> speaking of which, so. no, no, not not another JSA cancellation. We're like three more points before we get another of those. Uh, 1995, DC published the crossover Underworld Unleashed. Yes, where the, basically the devil makes deals with lots of people, mostly bad guys, and. Alan's wife, Molly, sold her soul to get her youth back because she aged relatively normally while Alan kept... He was basically kept young by the Starheart. Uh, varying degrees of young, but young. Uh, Alan actually had <clears throat> to journey to hell to get her soul back in the one-shot Abyss Hell Sentinel, which I haven't read. Have you? Is it good? Should I look for it? I... I am almost certain that I have read that, and it's... Like, I, I, I enjoyed, you know, just about all the Underworld Unleashed stuff that I did read. Yeah. It's gotta suck for a guy born in the 40s, who probably should have been dead by now, has to go into hell. <laughs> it's like, help, oh, I'm not coming back. Bye, guys. <clears throat> Yeah, so, you know, we we skipped over in the Zero Hour thing how he just kind of, like, discarded his ring. Oh, yeah. Didn't he give it to Kyle? Yeah. Like, after everybody else in the, uh, the G JSA, you know, was, you know, killed or super-aged or whatever... He's just like, you know what, I, you know, I'm done with this. Uh, so he gave up his ring, and that's when later on he realized that he was comprised of the energy, and he became sentinel. So they were able to have Kyle be the last Green Lantern, and Alan Scott be sentinel, who was basically still Green Lantern, but going by <laughs> a different name, so that Kyle could be the, the only Green Lantern. Yeah, I always hated that. It's like, Kyle's the only Green Lantern on technicality. Yeah. Like, we still have, <coughs> we still have this guy who has Green Lantern powers, wearing a Green Lantern costume, he has a Green Lantern symbol, a lot of, sometimes he even has a Green Lantern ring. We go back and forth on that. <laughs> but he, he's, he's, he calls himself something else. Yeah, 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 yeah. <coughs> uh, speaking of Sentinel, 1998. We got a three-issue miniseries, Green Lantern, Sentinel, Heart of Darkness. 
I don't know about you, but I liked this a lot when it came out. I enjoy it. Yes, the Starheart is back again, because we love him, and he wants to reabsorb all the energy it gave to Alan and his kids. Uh, Jade ends up defeating him. Alan retains his internalized powers, but the basic point of the whole thing was that Alan was visibly older again, his powers were said to be weaker, and Jade burnt her powers out. And the Starheart was, you know, gone for good. (laughs) (laughs) For now. He's gone forever. For now. (laughs) Um, Uh, Then, uh, I guess the next thing that happened was the new JSA series? Yes, and I don't don't want to gloss over why that happened, though, because ever since... Ever since Zero Hour, DC had been publishing a Starman comic that actually started with Starman number zero. Uh, written by James Robinson, who is a person we'll come back to very soon. Yes. Uh, it made really good, favorable use of the Golden Age characters and concepts and in a way that was both kind of modern and retro. And By 1999, DC decided to give it another shot with JSA number one, uh, also written by Robinson. Uh, this series focused on Alan Scott and a few of uh, a few of the other classic JSAers training and guiding the newest generation of heroes, such as you know like the Courtney Whitmore Star Spangled Kid created by Jeff Johns in memory of his sister. Uh, Alan was the main character of this book for pretty much all of its 87 issue run. They did a lot of work with Obsidian, bringing him back into the fold. Exton uh, shows up. Oh, yeah, Accent shows up, yeah. Because <laughs> you got to have Accent. Oh, yeah. my God. All you're missing is Wave Rider, and that's perfect. <laughs> um, uh, it should be noted, too, that after getting lots and lots of questionable costumes over the 90s, the first issue of this series, Alan goes back to using his classic Green Lantern costume with the emblem and everything, but still has internalized powers and still calls himself Sentinel because he hates us. Yes. <laughs> and he went by Sentinel for a while in that series. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It took it took fifty issues. <laughs> like in in two thousand three, JSA forty six started the Princes of Darkness storyline, which is a fantastic story. This whole series was amazing. Everybody should read it. Um it featured the wizard Mordru removing the star heart from Alan. Like, like at some point, it became his physical heart inside of his body, and this wizard ripped it out of him, and he was dying. And Jay Garrick helped Alan rec- reclaim it in issue 50, and this time he kind of shaped it into a ring identical to his classic ring, and he put it on and retook the name Green Lantern. What what year are we on right now? Uh, 2003. We glossed over 1996. uh, A four issue um, uh, mini series uh, um, that came out, uh, written by Mark Wade and art by a man named Alex Ross. And this is a storyline called Kingdom Come. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, what is it's where we're, intru- <laughs> it's where we're introduced to a concept of uh, 
Alan Scott having internalized the battery into himself. Uh, he's wearing uh, armor all around him and now guards uh, Earth from impending destructions via some giant um, castle in orbit, almost like a almost like a Green Lantern Justice League satellite rather than the Justice League satellite itself. New Oa. Yeah. Yes, New Oa, and uh, that's it. We'll. We won't go too much into that storyline because at some point in the future, Jim and I will be covering it on an issue or on an episode of uh, Elseworlds. Oh. Uh, Lanterncast presents Elseworlds. Um, you know, however far off that may be, we have other stuff to cover first. Yep. But um, I, just 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 for myself, I was not aware uh, until very recently, even though I've read that storyline multiple times, that that Green Lantern was in fact Alan Scott. Uh, really? I was under the impression. I was under the impression reading it that it was Hal Jordan. Yeah, you're uh, not alone. That is something. That is an assumption a lot of people made for a long time. And there, I remember like having this conversation with a lot of people, and it it always came back to no, look at his the the lantern on his chest looks like Alan's lantern, and he has blonde hair. And they're like, but it's named New Oa, and he's in space, and Alan wasn't a space guy, and this and that. And, yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, I, I only mention it because Green Lantern is a semi-prominent character, and um, and moreover, the storyline itself is a uh, a major. Um, if you're going to make a timeline of DC stories, uh, Kingdom Come is definitely a, a big uh, plot point story right there on that timeline. Yes. So, what do you guys think of the Kingdom Come armor? I like it. I, you know, actually, I also, like, as I'm going through all my toys lately to see what I want to keep and what I want to get rid of, I actually came across the Alan Scott Kingdom Come figure, and I actually thought that I had sold it years ago. So I was pretty happy that I still had that. It's it's cool looking. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about it I never really liked. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's the fact that it's all one color, one shade of green, or maybe I just don't like armor enough. I don't yeah. know. It's, it's really frustrating because it seems like every writer and artist always wants to put him in it. No matter what the series is or the story is, they find a reason. And speaking of reasons to put him in it... Oh, no, that's skipping ahead. We probably have to touch on Rebirth or something, don't we? Both of you are terrible. Hey, Jim. Yeah? Guess, guess who comes back in the year 2000? Uh, hold on. Oh, Starheart. No. Wait, 2000. Well, well, probably, but I'm thinking more along the lines of one Mr. Doiby Dickles. Oh. In the, in the pages of, you know, of all things, Young Justice, number 16. He's part of a group called Old Justice, who, <laughs> I swear to God, this is a real story. They want to stop, or actually, they want to force the Young Justice kids out of the hero game in fear that they'll be the incredibly dangerous super-powered version of the of a washed-up child actors someday. <laughs> he, he popped up in that series up through issue 28. So he was there for a long time. Uh, he was involved in their Sins of Youth storyline where all the young and old people switched ages. And they actually had a story where they went back to liberate that alien planet he was king of. <laughs> Uh, let's see, 2006, 
<laughs> Moving right along, Alan suffers the loss of his daughter, Jade, near the end of Infinite Crisis as she dies saving the life of Kyle Rayner. That was in the uh, Rand Thanagar special? Yes. Mm-hmm. And he skipped over Rebirth. I mean, he didn't play a big part in that, but he did appear in that. Yeah. Like, all he did in there was get a headache. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's probably, so, yeah. probably the star heart acting up. <laughs> the star, that was the star heart suddenly changing his personality. <laughs> um, uh, the year following Infinite Crisis, the JSA is seen disbanding again <laughs> during a throwaway sequence during 52. <laughs> um, um, immediately following Infinite Crisis, DC for some reason decided that Alan Scott should be Nick Fury. Uh, they had him lose an eye, which made no sense. Oh. What, well, made no was, sense whatsoever with his power set. That was in the end of the uh, the JSA series. No. No, he was alongside Amanda Waller. Well, no, he he lost his eye in the JSA series, and um, the gentleman ghost like gave him some kind of ghost eye. So that he could like see ghosts. That was the like the last storyline in that that JSA series. And then he like he he had the patch. And then all of a sudden like he started using like creating like uh like a, a like, green energy eye. Yeah, because I thought he lost the eye because all the space heroes from Infinite Crisis had a teleport accident. That's what it was. Oh yeah, yeah. That's wait. <laughs> wait a second. Yeah, that is what happened. Oh, that's what happened. But the JSA series, yeah, that, that did that did end. That continued after one year later. Maybe I don't remember. Yes, because there were episodes <coughs> that there were issues of that JSA series that were part of the one year later story, and that's how the I thing, happened, you know, story happened. All right. Anyway, for some reason, he's made the White King a high-ranking member of Checkmate, which is their black ops, covert ops, government ops, ops group. Uh, but eventually he leaves due to moral conflicts. Um, the JSA comes back again in Justice... They just won't stop. In Justice Society of America number one in 2007. Uh, this time the team expands to take the society name a little more literally. Uh, this... This version of the team would give us characters like Cyclone and Kingdom Come Superman. Speaking of Kingdom Come, uh, it would be run. It would last for 54 issues, and this was actually the most recent JSA series. Um, in, then 2010, Blackest Night happened. Alan got to help Mister Terrific make that Black Lantern bomb we all like so much, and in the end, Jade was restored to life by the White Lantern. Jim, remember that that Black Lantern bomb? Mr. Terrific, Mr. Terrific invents a bomb that, you know, mimics the energy of a fifth dimensional imp and the white light of life. Oh God! Oh, you love that, right? God don't worry, don't worry. I won't make you talk about something you hate. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh hey, guess what happens next? Oh, the Star Heart returns. Yes, the Dark Things, the JLA-JSA crossover. You, you, you tell the people about it. Tell the, tell the people about it. Well... Epi- episode number 67. 
<laughs> the lantern cast. I like how you had that ready to go. That, that was 67? That wasn't 68? It was 67. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a little hazy on this. <laughs> because, For what reason, Because I Jim? was completely drunk when we reviewed it. Me and Corwin. Um, that was... That was one of the worst storylines um, I've ever had the misfortune to read. Um, something about the Starheart. Oh, oh God, it, it's it's so <laughs> ridiculous. Jade comes back to life, so obviously she goes right off to Oa. Um, I guess to spend some time with Kyle. Um, you know. Uh, None of that makes sense. But then on her way back, she got picked up by the Starheart that I guess was traveling coincidentally in just the right path through infinite space. Um, Starheart picks her up, encases her within the Starheart, and then makes a beeline right towards Earth. Um, And then once the... The Starheart gets here, Jade gets out, and Alan goes completely bonkers crazy, because uh, now the Starheart's controlling him, and he's uh, he goes on a rampage, it creates a city on the moon. Um, <laughs> I, I could have sworn something having to do with Eclipso, that there were Eclipso concepts going on, um didn't make a lot of sense it was a really horrendously bad storyline uh and the end result was that alan internalized the star heart um but in order to keep it at bay jade and obsidian could never be near each other again yeah, basically if Alan sneezed, the Starheart would take him over and he'd become evil again. <laughs> and the amount of concentration required to keep the Starheart in check was so tremendous that when he was crippled in the JSA series, he couldn't... By sight. Yeah, he couldn't... Oh, yeah. yeah he couldn't even... Uh, <laughs> use his powers to heal himself. Because even just a second, and the star heart would just take control in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah, Dark Things was kind of the fall from grace for James Robinson, which is... That's a shame. He had been doing really good up till now. (laughs) And, uh... Star heart, um... The powers of the star heart reappear a little later during the Eclipso storyline. Um... Where Alan's still bedridden from having his neck snapped by Scythe yeah, uh, and some... cannot be yeah. paralyzed. Um, the the JSI try to take down this villain named Darken D apostrophe A R K E N, and he's too powerful. Um, but for some convoluted reason, <laughs> uh, the Starheart is the only way to destroy uh, Darken. But um, once Alan releases all of the energies of the Starheart to destroy this villain, his body begins to incinerate. And there's a funeral for Alan, and they, they believe in, they believe that he's dead, uh, blah, 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 and then enter the New 52. Yeah, that was a really, like, 
under the radar, unceremonious end for Alan Scott. You know, like, like if you were, like, it didn't get advertised anywhere. Nobody was really talking about it. Like, if you weren't already reading JSA, you would have no idea. Like, if you were reading Green Lantern, you would have no idea that Alan Scott died. And 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 it didn't help. Like the costume they put him in right before his death, like it looked like he was wearing an iron lung. It's like, uh. he, he looked like he was dressed up as a lantern for Halloween. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, like honestly, <clears throat> the reason that they probably didn't make much fanfare is probably the same reason they didn't uh, they didn't really make too much fanfare when they, you know. Air Bunnies killed Batman in Final Crisis. He'll never come back, though. Batman, he's gone. Yep. Yeah. That, <laughs> but, yeah, but I mean, like, you knew that Batman was going to come back. I mean, obviously Batman's coming back. But, like, you know, just the fact that they supposedly killed off Batman, they could have announced that to the news, you know, organizations, and, like, really got a lot of, you know, so they could have sold a lot of comics, basically from that publicity and they just didn't they just like yeah well he's dead or, or is he it's like well Ooh. obviously he's not dead because he's Batman <laughs> but uh yeah with, with Alan like with, with that much energy in his body you know please yes well that brings us to today which of you wants to, t- to tackle this one uh, I haven't talked in a while. I'll go for it. Uh, the New 52 comes out. DC relaunches their entire universe with uh, by canceling every single issue uh, and uh, and restarting with new stories, new number ones, new creative teams. And uh, 52 titles emerge. And as we progress in those titles, uh, some are canceled. Uh, due to low sales or lack of interest, and others rise to take their place, so there is a constant stream of 52 titles in the DC Universe. And one of the titles rising up to replace one of the lost titles is a title called Earth 2, um, in which the uh, the JSA uh, heroes at here. Here they're too unknown at this point in this universe as if they actually ever existed, what their history was. It was a point of contention among a lot of fans um, when we found out the New 52 was coming out. And and according to what we had seen that thus far, nothing about the JSA had ever been mentioned. We have no idea what was going on. And then Earth 2 comes around, written by James Robinson, the same, the same guy who totally <clears throat> fucked up in Brightest Day in the most recent incarnation of JSA. So we're all a little on edge when we hear this. And then the series starts coming out. And again, spoilers for everything for the past 72 years up until issue 3 of <laughs> Earth 2. Can we just say that every episode, every time we talk about everything? <laughs> uh we open this entire series in issue one. The the founding three members, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman, are killed, leaving a vacancy. And and Supergirl and Robin are transported into 
uh, Earth One, uh, the the new, the new Fifty Two Earth, uh, which takes place in a series called World's Finest, uh, which leaves a gap for heroes on Earth Two, and one of the heroes in uh, issue two becomes Jay Garrick Flash, uh, whose new origin, having his original origin being uh, he inhaled hard water fumes and vapors and somehow. Uh, became the fastest man alive. In this one, he is uh, given the power by the dying god Hermes, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, is is it his name Hermes, or is there is it the the other incarnation? Uh, I think I think they went with Mercury. Oh, Mercury! There you go. It's Mercury. I they apologize. use they use the other pantheon. The Roman gods. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. for because it's Earth two, they wanted to make it different from the regular. Yeah, uh, the new 52 Earth, they use the Greek uh, pantheon, and here they use the Roman, uh, which is Mercury. Yeah, you're right. Um, he gets his powers from Mercury, the messenger of the gods, the Roman gods. And then in this same issue, we get introduced to a concept that causes a lot of contention at the time amongst fans of the concept that Alan Scott is now gay, a... Um, Con, uh, a, a subject of controversy that we discussed in episode 130 and 131, respectively, um, uh, at different points, uh, both when it was announced that it was a possibility that it would be Alan, and then after the fact when it was confirmed that it would be Alan. And that brings us current to issue three of the Earth 2 series, in which Alan Scott, uh, having just proposed to his... Um, his uh, uh, his boyfriend, his lover, whatever you'd like to call him, uh, Samuel. Uh, the train is crashed. Um, a green light shows up, says it is the light of life, uh, the light of all that is green on Earth. Um, he needs to rise to become Earth's new defender. Alan accepts the power, becomes Green Lantern, and... Uh, uh, he is he is the power of all life. The green the green has found its champion, and as Alan Scott rises, we see the rise of another uh, power uh, of of the gray, and the embodiment of the gray uh, is the new Earth Two incarnation of Solomon Grundy. Yes, and something that is that uh, we've kind of talked about a little bit as we've gone is how. The new Earth Two origin of Alan Scott is so like like for all the talk it gets of changing the character and to make him gay, that this origin is so faithful to the original from 1940. It's not even funny. Like his, like it, it, it even it even works with like the stuff the Lantern says to him in the 1940 origin. Like it translates directly to this one in a more literal way. Yeah, uh, and and just to 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 go along with that, um, it's uh, it it the in in issue three it says I am fire, yes, and light, energy, all the power uh, of the earth, and uh, it says uh, it's it says it's I am the embodiment of the earth's energy. Uh, in truly dark times, a champion has been chosen. I would pass on to you this power. Uh, but he's Earth, Earth, the power of the Earth, the power of the green, the power of life. And in the 1940, uh, very first issue of Green Lantern in, in, in All-American Comics 16, 
I am the green flame of life. And it's uh, and I've already quoted this at the very beginning of the episode, but for I am the green flame of life, uh, green as are the plants, the growing things. So, yep. And something I appreciate as someone who loves the hell out of the current uh, Snyder Swamp Thing series, also part of the New Fifty Two, is that you know they like I don't expect them to really make a huge point out of this, but. Alan Scott is basically Earth 2's Swamp Thing at this point. Like he's, he he literally he gets his power from the green. He's their champion. He like it, the biggest difference is he gets a superhero costume and he doesn't become a big shaggy swamp monster. <laughs> like they make a point of like when Grundy is coming out of the ground, he references the rot, which is like the uh antithesis of the green over in Swamp Thing. It's like their main the main force they're struggling against. Uh they they make they keep saying like the green has chosen its champions. Like the terminology is there and that like like that's a those words mean something to the DC universe now. That's like it's like referencing the emotional spectrum. That means something to Green Lantern in the DC universe. You know something? Like what? I wonder because you said that you don't think that they'll they'll play up the you know the common the the fact that they have that on both universes now. But honestly, like that that's two very basic you know forces in the universe that they may actually use those forces to connect and be able to cross over at some point. Maybe yeah, maybe they'll like Alan will like walk into a forest in his universe and come out in a forest in the other one. Possibly one shaped like a star. You never know. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that is something. I, I totally agree with you, even though I have not read any of the new 52 Swamp Thing or Animal Man. Do it. Um, I agree with you that the, the comparisons to the green and the rot are much more um, uh, evident uh, than the comparison I'm about to make. But the comparison can also be made to Alan Scott being the power of life as embodied in a white lantern or or something uh, to that effect, and more more likely uh, uh, is the uh, ne- uh, is Grundy being the power of death, the power of rot, and, and I say that also because Grundy actually kind of looks like Necron too. Yeah, uh, when when it, they first showed him pulling himself out of the ground, and you, you just saw the the shadowed version of him really close up, and he had that that metal on him. Like I thought it was going to be Necron. Right. So, so it, it's 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 tied closely to two different stories, and and both of them very prominent. So it's it's made so either reader can be uh, can draw a comparison there that they can latch onto and say they enjoy. Um, but since this is uh, this isn't a series that we're covering in our re- regular episodes, but it is a very pivotal uh, issue for Green Lantern in general. What what are our thoughts on this issue as a whole and? And how do we feel about where it's brought the character current up until now? I love it. Earth 2 in general is a fantastic series. Like, as far as I'm concerned, like, if I didn't know James Robinson wrote this and the Dark Things, like, I would think it was two completely different people. But this is, this is great. Like, I'm pleased, I'm pleased with the quality of all the art, all the writing, how they're treating Alan Scott as a character, how they're treating the gay issue. 
and and they honestly are they're not treating it like an issue like it was just like i felt like i was reading just another superhero origin where there's a romantic interest involved like it something bad happened and he moved forward with it like you know it's, it 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 would have read almost the same if it was if he was involved with a girl named Samantha instead of a guy named Sam and i think that's how it should be yeah my, you know yeah, um, my only issue so. is like the way that they drew Sam he looked a little weird looking Do you think like do you think they tried to play him like a little too feminine kinda? Or I I'm not sure what it is, but I don't know, like like there's just ner- like a little bit like too much of a twinkle in his eye kind of thing. I got nervous when I saw that first panel of him where he's just like, Hello Alan. I was like, Oh god, please, please don't play this too over the top. But, like, immediately after that, it was fine, you know? He just started talking like a regular person, so. I'm not sure how I feel about the costume yet. No, I like it. I was terrified they were going to use the damn Kingdom Come armor. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I never suspected that they would do that. Um, And I knew they wanted to avoid the purple and the reds and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, I mean, from this compared to what we saw, like, the, you know, the initial design ideas, like, they took out all the black. So it's it's all just green. It's, like, just yeah. shades of green. Well, that makes, that makes more sense with his origin. Now, I mean, if he's the, he's the agent of the green, he's basically Swamp Thing that glows. He would be all green. Um, one thing about this issue bothered me. I can't remember if I said it on an episode or one of you individually or, or what. I did say it in my blog entry reviewing this itch issue over at Core Conjecture. But um, I, I am pleased with how they treated the, the homosexual thing and everything. But And I'm not quite sure why it bothers me. And it doesn't really bother me that much. But I just kind of paused for a second and went, huh, is that the right word to use? is when um, Alan's asking the light to help him find Sam, and the light says, I'm afraid your lover did not survive. Referring to Sam as a lover, I don't know. I mean, I I can't really suggest another word that could have been used, uh, boyfriend or fiancé or partner. I mean, I I don't know, but does lover hold the same connotations to me as it does to everyone else? I don't know. It just didn't seem like the right <laughs> choice of words, but that's a very, very small nitpick. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, what, what could they replace? They could replace it with they could have just said your love did not survive, or your mate did not survive, or, or something. Yeah, I don't know. Well, maybe, maybe that's like maybe that's a clue that the voice is actually uh, Talia Al Ghul. <laughs> oh, absolutely! New Fifty Two yeah. Talia Al Ghul Earth Two. <clears throat> I I did like they made the. The kind of ominous connotations here that, um, uh, implications, sorry, that was a completely wrong word. <clears throat> they implied that, um, Alan was kind of talking to his own fate kind of thing. Because towards the end there, like, he, he said, like, you know, it's, this all seems like I'm going through an initiation ritual. Like, this has happened before. 
Yeah, and well, were, he also, were you a yeah? Like, were you a person before, and then the light just goes away? So, like, someday when his time is over, he might, you know, go into the green and exist just to pass it on to the next person. That's my, that's my question. Like, yeah. you know, are we going to find out who that voice was attached to? Maybe. Uh, yeah. And, and and there are two things about this issue I love, and I'm going to take them out of order. <laughs> uh, I like I like the creation of the ring. Oh yes, that was I like that it has. I like it has to be like a token to which your focus, your power, something close to your heart. So he takes the ring he was going to propose to Sam with, and the light transforms something, the last vestige he has of left of Sam, into the power that he'll use to protect the Earth. Um, that I thought that was really cool. Um, and the other thing I really liked is when it tells uh, it tells Alan, you know why didn't you select someone during the apocalypse? He says, why didn't you select anyone as a power during the apocalypse war? And it says the world then had a sun God among its defenders. And he's like, wait, what Superman? And this is my, something I really enjoyed when I read this, this evil has come to this evil to come will make that war seem inconsequential. And you must stand in Superman's stead, Alan Scott as earth's new defender, which means the power that this is giving to Alan will put him on par, if not greater than Superman, yeah. which is a place Alan Scott should have always <laughs> been in in the first place. Yeah. Well, and how many times throughout the years have people talked about him in the old days as kind of being his generation's Superman, or you were Superman before there was Superman kind of thing, like depending on what continuity there was at the time. Um, I, I really like the fact that the one and only thing we saw Alan do with his powers is, you know, I think he's lifting the wrecked train car over his head just via super strength or whatever. Like, a very, like, kind of Superman thing to do. Which, again, yeah. like, just like his original appearance, they're not settling right into he makes constructs. They're just having him do, like, okay, he has a magic ring, so he has he can do stuff. The, uh, the two things that... <laughs> Like, I don't know, um, popped out at me was one, this this entity that is giving him the powers shows up just after a whole bunch of people die. Yeah. You know, like you couldn't have shown up just a little bit sooner and saved everybody's life, including my lover. Yeah. Well, they asked about that. He asked about that, and they said like, no, my job was only to save you. Yeah. So I only saved you. So he's, then, then he's kind of a dick. Yeah. Or if he had given him the powers five minutes earlier, he could have saved all those people. Um, so that's one thing, you know. That but that's that's that is a nitpick. Um, the other thing, and I guess this is just a style preference. The like I liked the ring scene, but the fact that they made the ring, um, you know, it's it's basically the same ring style as, well, it's definitely the same ring style as, like, the animated Green Lantern, but it's very similar to, like, Jon Stewart's uh, ring style. It's almost like a cross between Kyle Rayner and Jon Stewart's ring style. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, it's a Green Lantern core ring. Yeah, that, that's, that's the thing that I think is a little odd, because, you know, like, not that, not that you want something extremely convoluted or anything, 
Um, you know, the old ring was, you know, a lantern. It was, like, yeah. based on the lantern, which is cool, but, you know, that doesn't really work now. No, no way at all. So, you know, I, I think I would have liked to have seen something new um, that would make it a little more distinguished from the Green Lantern Corps. You know what? Like, let me just double-check this. As you're double-checking, uh, I think it's cool that... Uh, and it's something I... I mean, and, and this is going to sound crazy, but I honestly did not even think about it uh, or really notice it that much because this I, I enjoyed this new take on it so much. There's not a lantern. There's nothing. There's no need for him to recharge. He is the lantern. Yeah, yeah. There, there's there's nothing there anymore. I didn't even really even think about it until just now. Yeah, that there the, is no lantern. And the ring is just like the conduit that he can use to tap the energy that's in him. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, something that I realized after reading it, um, his symbol, which you know we we compare to like the ion symbol or the symbol Kyle used in the Jim Lee redesign years back, uh, it's this is basically the same symbol used by Green Lantern in that uh, just imagine if Stan Lee created the DC universe <laughs> thing, where Green Lantern I think was Alan Scott, I can't remember. But he was also a uh, nature body. Yep. Yeah. yeah, embodiment of nature. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's an intentional callback, but I choose to believe it is. Stanley should uh, call his lawyers. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And and there's one other thing I'll say about this issue before I, I get done with my part of, of of reviewing it. I like the very very. Sen- I mean, and we get this a lot, especially if Jeff Johns is directing. Uh, his artists on a book to tell him, you know, what I want to see in this panel. In this panel, it's a very cinematic approach, especially as we get closer to the reveal of Grundy. Um, we see this stuff coming up. We see the cracks along the uh, the uh, Washington Monument, and then we see this uh, this vine reach up around the Washington Monument, and then the very next panel is it kind of whipping around it and cracking it, and it's 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 got a very like sequential cinematic feel and you can almost you can almost visually see this stuff growing up out of the ground and snatching planes out of the air and snapping bricks and bringing down the capital and and into pieces and all that stuff oh yeah i mean if if this played out in a movie like this would be like a big action scene in like a summer temple disaster movie like this like two page sequence right here yeah that's 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 what I meant. It was it was just really cool to see the progression in the art of of how everything is just falling apart rapidly. Hmm. Yeah. And I, and I, a question I had is is the whole Earth dying? Because aren't uh, Flash and Hawkgirl in this issue, which we haven't talked about because we're focused on Alan? Um, aren't they in like Poland as everything is dying and they, yeah, and then and then everything is also dying in Washington. So yeah. is this happening all around the entire Earth simultaneously, or is this just happening in certain key places? Because Grundy makes a point of saying, um, oh, what the hell does he say? He says, um, da, 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 da. I'm sorry, I'm looking forward here. Um, uh, what does he say? Okay, here we go. I must be quick clever snatch my power take life from a place to draw the green knight's attention to 
Hmm. <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I could buy that it's happening all over the world just because, you know, the green... Uh, oh, actually, he came in response to the green picking a champion. I don't know. Big scary yeah. thing. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. I don't know yet. Yeah. Um, so we have we have the gray, we have the green. Uh, most likely we'll end up having the red. Uh, on the forums, somebody, was it you, Chad, that mentioned Hawkgirl as a possible candidate for the red? Uh, yeah, but that was only after someone had in- mentioned Adam. Someone said something about Adam because actually one of the solicits for Earth Two um, puts uh, it really makes uh, uh, add the Earth Two incarnation of Adam sound like uh, a villain that he'll be facing alongside of Grundy rather than a teammate because it says something about the military's champion. I think Adam might be to Earth to what um, Cyborg is to uh, the current Earth, um, but more working for the government against the heroes. Um, At least that's what the solicitation said. I think the solicitation was just, like, confusingly worded. I think what's probably going to happen is that Alan is going to go up against the government alongside... Adam, and then he also has to go up against Solomon Grundy. Because I don't think the Adam and the government are going to be working with Solomon Grundy, who just destroyed the White House. <laughs> to destroy the Capitol. <laughs> I mean, it just seems odd. But anyway, I also mentioned a possibility of Wildcat. Um, do you guys, could you think of any other possibilities, any other candidates for the Red? If we're going by JSA analogs, um, no, um, I can't think of any. I mean, who are the who are the main staples? Uh, let's see, Our Man, uh, Sandman, Doctor Midnight, Doctor Midnight, Doctor Fate, Spectre. Spectre. Spectre could be an interesting choice. I'd like to see him in this series. But I don't I don't know if they'll use him because Oh he's... man. Oh, it would be awesome if they use the Spectre as like that universe's version of the Phantom Stranger. No, but I think I don't think they'll do that cuz I I think those characters um especially <laughs> since Flashpoint have been set up as a is a constant in the DC, the new DCU. Uh, like they're 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 the same for every universe. They they transcend the the dimensional plane, if you want to put it that way. I, I don't think there's a version of Phantom Stranger for another Earth. I think I think the Phantom Stranger is the Phantom Stranger throughout the whole thing. Same with Pandora. Same with the Question. I mean, I, it, yeah, it's possible, but I, just the way it seemed to me, especially considering Pandora's portrayal at the end of Flashpoint, I think they transcend dimensions and, and, and universes. So they're a constant. Yeah. But, yeah, so overall, very happy with Earth 2. I'm liking what they're doing with Alan Scott. I'm enjoying getting to know this character. 
and you know, this was a book that I tried just kind of because I was curious about the premise, and it mm-hmm. it was a, a real pleasant surprise. Yeah, issue three totally made up for issue two. Oh, uh, I'm just issue super... two. <laughs> I well, and and this is this is a personal preference thing, and I know that there's a lot of people who feel the same way I do, so I'm not the only one. I really, really hate Jay Garrick's costume. I agree. I, I hate it so much. I agree with you as far as the cover image goes. Once I saw it, how they actually draw it in the issue, I kind of like it. The only thing I don't necessarily like is the way they have the lightning bolt running down his body. But like, I like everything else about it. I like the design of it. I like the helmet. It's awesome. I, I, I just, I oh god, I can't stand it. I really can't. I mean, I, I I I let it go because of the origin, and I let it go because of the way the character acts. And I really, I really feel like um, like Jay. I mean, we're getting off topic, but I really feel like Jay is like the Kyle Rayner of this universe. Uh, oh know, yeah, he's the of, the POV character. Yeah, and and not not just POV, but just the way he acts. I mean, you got a guy who, uh, kind of right place. Right place, right time. You know, his life's not that great. Just kind of some stuff's going on that he can't... He's not sure he can handle. Not sure where he's at in his own life. And then Mercury falls out of the skies and bequeaths him his power and gives him a little bit of information and says, here, go for it. And yeah. then he just kind of learns on his own. And in that in my mind, maybe I'm making the connections a little hastily but i i really see a connection between this this universe jay garrick and our universe's kyle rainier yeah i can see that yeah yeah i, I hate the helmet or hell you can make the comparison to hal jordan because you know dying alien being bequeathed him as power yeah that's true yeah. just the way the kid acts reminds me of uh, kyle yeah God, this is. A, can we replace Red Lanterns with this book? Can we just do it. This is a, this is such a good book. It's gonna be Green Lantern centric. No, you shouldn't have brought it up because then we'll get another Facts of Life thing. Oh. No. Okay. Good. It's, it's okay. Jim's asleep. Uh, <laughs> you know something. I don't have to do it every time. You know. <laughs> it just takes away all the meaning if you do it every time. Oh yeah, no, it's it has oodles of meaning. Otherwise, uh, one other thing that popped up during my rigorous research was um, a little bit about Obsidian, who I don't think it came up yet. He was a gay character before this all went down, and uh, he actually officially was shown to be gay in an issue of Manhunter. Uh, and there's a quote from the writer who's talking about it, and it struck me as very familiar because it was almost exactly what DC would say about Alan Scott today. Uh, the writer saying, uh, I didn't want to make a character gay unless it felt organic. Uh, so the list was pretty short. And I remembered Obsidian... <clears throat> I remembered when Obsidian was in the JLA years ago under Gerard Jones, the writer uh, dancing around the issue. Uh, Reread all of my Infinity Inks and 
although Todd dated women, it was always a mess. Um, uh, DC was supportive, wanting a visible gay character, and that was, uh, and it was a, wow, this is a poorly written sentence. But that's basically the gist of it. <laughs> and I give up reading it. <laughs> and blah, dude, man, blah. But I thought that was interesting. How the, uh, the exact same rationale that was applied to his father de- a couple decades later was also applied to Obsidian back then. Yeah, but, but it's not really the same thing. Yeah, you know, because close enough. When they were creating Obsidian, they were going for you know, well, yeah, he had been out on you know, he had dated women, but it didn't work out, so he never you know had a concrete you know straight history, so that you know they made him gay. This time, James Robinson's reasoning was that since there wasn't going to be Obsidian, his gay son, in order to fill the role, he would make Alan gay instead. Oh, whatever. Um, Because he he, he said that in an interview. Okay, I don't know. Um, Which, I mean, I don't know. We've gone over it enough times before. Yeah. Point is, Alan's here, he's gay now, so far so good. Alright, so we just did 72 years of Green Lantern history. We went from the original origin to the new origin. Let's uh, let's celebrate by playing a voicemail. Hey guys, it's Lance. Um, I was just calling to talk about the Alan Scott thing for a bit, um, just because I really appreciate... Um, who he is kind of, I don't know, as a, as a gay superhero. Um, do you think, I guess, the first being um, the change to him was done, you know, because they were losing Obsidian, and it seems kind of like quota filling, but they still have the potential to do a lot of good anyway. So considering uh, that, that the potential good outweighs the bad, I'm okay with this move right now. Um, of course, you know, I'm reserving my final judgment for later on in the series. Um, also, I didn't really like how heavy-handed um, the whole gay love thing was done. Um, you know, being gay, I have, you know, I'm aware of how similar my relationships are and the patterns I go through are to, you know, it's all, you know, the same thing. Um and it kind of felt really forced. And, you know, we eventually see that it's supposed to be, you know, so that he can form the, the connection with the ring, and that's why he uses the ring. And I'm okay with that. It's just I hope it becomes less forced and less about, um, I don't know, uh, kind of Alan's pining. Like, I enjoy that he that it was a serious relationship. I appreciate that. Um, but... As long as it's as forced as it is, um, I'm I'm going to be worried that people are feeling like they are being, you know, made to enjoy this this gay character and like, look, this is, you know, and that that may not be a good thing. Um, but I think he's doing a good job um, overall, like making this person, you know, powerful and like making him a good person. Um, 
I really appreciated Dan's comments. Um, I think episode 131 or 33. Um, so like definitely give that a listen if you haven't heard it. But um, yeah, I have a, a a lot of views on it. I just hope that um, I don't want to get cut off. So um, I'll I'll talk to y'all later. Bye. Okay, and that was from Lance, friend of the show. Mm-hmm. Oh. He appreciates me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he he brings up an interesting point as far as, you know, the concept of, you know, doing something for the sake of doing it or, you know, for, you know, the idea of the quota. Yes, it can be done to fill the quota, but you do have the potential to do good with it. Uh, and I mean, you know, that's never been more evident than with Jon Stewart in Justice League Unlimited. Um, you know, you didn't have to have Jon Stewart. You could have gone with Kyle Rayner. You could have gone with, you know, Hal Jordan. You could have gone with anybody. But they went with Jon Stewart because he was the black character and they wanted more diversity on the team. And, you know... Aside from the fact that, you know, he was really good in that show, the, the fact of the matter is that show had a positive impact on the comic by giving him a military background, um, which is, you know, better than he had. Really. Well, I mean, it also, like, it the show was the most visible public face of Green Lantern in general. Like, more, pe- I think more people got into Green Lantern through that show than they did through comic shops yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm of the mind that, like, okay, well, if they decide they're going to do something, what, com- what it comes down to is how do they do it? You know, how well do they... And we've said this before, but, like, if it, you, know, you make a decision sounds questionable on the outset, okay, you have the chance to prove yourself because it's... Yeah, you could you could have an idea that sounds stupid. Like, like a year ago or two years ago, you tell me, hey, by the way, DC is going to junk all their continuity and start over from issue one. Everything. <laughs> that sounds like a stupid idea, but you know what? They did it, and I'm enjoying the hell out of it because of how they went about it. I, I'm I'm reading more DC now than I was before the New Fifty Two, and I love it. So. You know, I, I mean, he made the point that it felt kind of heavy-handed or forced the way they did it with uh, Alan's origin. I don't necessarily think that's because they were trying to hit home anything with him being gay. I think that's just them trying to beef up the loss he was going to have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's like established a relationship, so the loss meant more in the next issue. Like, they would have done the same thing if Alan was in a... Like, I said this again. Say, I'll say this again. I think they would have done the same thing if Alan was in a heterosexual relationship with a woman. Like, it would have been... Like, they would have had, like, the the touching scene to show how much they're in love. He would have pulled the ring out of his pocket to propose, and then fate would have ripped it away from him and been his motivation going forward. So that's that's just the superhero origin thing to do. It's going to be a little contrived. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, an, an interesting point that he brings up, uh, and I talked to him, I was talking to him on Facebook about it, so he expanded on a little also. It, you know, him as a gay reader, like, 
you know, he wants this stuff portrayed well, you know, just as much as we do, and even more so, because if it's portrayed heavy-handed, then, you know, that then it's going to look like they're forcing, you know, forcing this stuff on people that have no interest in it, and that's going to make them dislike it. Whereas if, if it's handled well, you know, and it's not too heavy-handed, then it's, it just becomes part of the comic. It's just something that's happening that just happens to be part of the character. Um, yeah. And people there's certain... are a lot more accepting no, to that. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a danger of that from the outside, especially, I mean, I was a little nervous when, you know, both, both this... And the X-Men wedding with Northstar and his boyfriend. News, like, announcements of the, both of these came out almost immediately after uh, President Obama stated that he was in favor of gay marriage. So, like, it, both of these things screamed publicity stunt, you know? And it would have been really, like, I haven't read the X-Men wedding, so I have no idea. I, I haven't heard anything bad about it. I haven't heard much of anything about it in general, but it was one of those where, like, they got engaged in issue 49 and married in issue 50 or something, so... Um, <laughs> this is really well planned out. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> and, um... But... I, I don't know, like, it's really easy to see all the ways this could have gone terribly wrong, but it didn't. And could it have been better? Of course it could have been better. Everything we've ever talked about in the history of this show could have been done better. But, you know, I got, I ended up with what I feel was a good comic that did at least a good job of portraying what it was trying to get across. Yeah, I think Rage of the Red Lanterns, the Final Crisis special, was pretty much perfect. Well, that was the debut of Rage Kitty. Exactly. I mean, I mean look, you want to... You want to make an impact, they should have made Rage Kitty gay. <laughs> <laughs> Meow. <laughs> you would never know. James, soundbite, Chad, right there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, yeah. um, and before we wrap this up, I did start a topic over on the forum called Looking Back on Alan Scott. And um, there are three posts there I just wanted to share from our listeners so we had a more... Uh, a more uh, comprehensive or, or at least a thorough more thorough view of what our listeners thought in addition to lance's voicemail uh john uh, gl kitte on the forum said i really loved him in kyle's run when he was a mentor and one of the only people kyle had to talk to about his problems uh, i loved his relationship with thorn and the golden age harley quinn uh, I don't think uh, this new iteration is a huge step for the character. At this point, it isn't going to be the same character. He's more of a based on the old character than just a new direction. I'm most interested in if they have if they're going to have Obsidian and, and Jade or not. I never loved the characters, but I liked them a lot and knew more about them than many other DC characters when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, makes, before I move on, thoughts on that? He makes a good point that um. You know, this this Alan Scott we have now <clears throat> isn't so much the New 52 version of Alan Scott as it is the Earth 2 version of Green Lantern, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, it does. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, I have, I carry with me that fondness for the old Alan Scott, but, you know, I'm, I'm taking this as a guy who's probably similar, but he's a, he's his own character. 
Yeah. 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 For me, I I basically look at it as like, you know, it's not so much that he's Alan Scott Green Lantern. He's just, you know, the Green Lantern of Earth 2, whose name coincidentally happens to be Alan Scott. And on some <laughs> other universe, there's another Alan Scott that's straight and has two kids, Jade and Obsidian. And I feel like as as this character is around longer and as we get more used to him and more comfortable with them in this interpretation, we'll start to like we'll start to care less about all the semantics involved and we'll just accept that, you know what, this is a this is an Alan Scott that I like and enjoy. And we won't there won't be that well, he's not my Alan Scott mindset anymore. Right, and that, and along those lines, uh, before I move on, um, seventy-two years this month. I mean, if if we're sad that the old Alan Scott is gone, what other stories could they have really told after seventy-two years? Well, they could have disbanded. Was, was, was there really much left? <laughs> they could have disbanded the JSA again. <laughs> they've they've only done that like eight or nine times. I I should have counted. They they disband so much. Well, you know, well, you know, there's there's apparently some you know some story or some story idea that is uh, currently in Jeff Johns's head that he planned to do to Alan Scott as far as you know attaching him to some sort of magical chair or wall or something like that in the future in the Legion time frame. Mm. Um, Meh. You know, it showed up in the Legion of Three Worlds, and it showed up later on in the other Legion series. Um, you know, like, that's something that I would have been curious to see. Even at the Origin and Opens thing with the Alan Scott. Um, you know, the, and there's nothing to say that it can't, can't be done again in, in an mm-hmm. Else Worlds or something like that. Yeah. I mean, Hell, yeah, it, could, it could happen to this one. You don't know. Yeah, but I mean. <clears throat> Honestly, that's just that's probably stories that we're never gonna get. And you know, like we can say it's like, oh yeah, maybe that'll pop up someday, and blah 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 blah. Come on, it's not going to pop up someday. Those stories are, you know, casualties of Flashpoint. Yeah. Um. And and, and that that that's the kind of thing that I miss. And you know, like it. I guess it just it's a little bit tougher you know loss because Kyle you know that's the that's the Green Lantern that I grew up with um, you know and I loved all those stories and as much as I love the Hal Jordan stories you know it's like the Kyle Rayner run that was that was it for me like that's that's what cemented my you know my fandom for Green Lantern mm-hmm. and the role of Alan Scott in that you know and and the role of Jade in that, you know, it, it was, you know, it wasn't throwaway. Um, so, so that stuff, I'll, I'll miss that. I'll definitely miss that. Yeah. Um, another fan of the show, uh, Earthy Billy, uh, says, uh, I was a pretty big fan of Alan Scott, already sounding like a eulogy. Oh, well, my Alan Scott is gone. Uh, luckily, the era of stories that I enjoyed most uh, when Alan stepped in to be a mentor to Kyle. I enjoyed that interaction so much. Despite the fact that they've derived their powers from different sources, it was every bit a passing of the baton situation. 
In fact, the pairing of Kyle and Alan echoed so much of the pairing of Wiley West and Jay Garrick that I think that I think that that I think that is a major reason why Kyle and Wally were accepted as heirs to the throne so well. Uh, and it is no secret, as I've made various posts about it over the years, that I wanted Kyle to eventually become the heir apparent to the Starheart. I also enjoyed Flash Green and Green Lantern, The Brave and the Bold number three from the limited series, where Alan, Hal, Barry, and Jay take off on a camping trip to another planet. Just a fun story. Alan Scott as the leader of the JSA, though, was some of my favorite use of the character. It emphasized the power of the character, putting Green Lantern, a Green Lantern in the de facto Superman position of that team. If you aren't familiar with Alan Scott, though, treat yourself to Green Lantern, Brightest Day, Blackest Night by Steven Seagal and uh, <laughs> Steven Seagal. S-E-A-G-L-E? I don't know. Steven Seagal. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, whatever. And, and John K. Snyder. The third. Uh, it is a story of the first meeting of Alan Scott and Solomon Grundy. The story is good, but man, oh man, you are picking this up for the John K. Snyder art. This is one of the most beautifully painted books you'll ever see. I have several times tried to buy original pages from this book. As for the character of Alan Scott, you know what I'm going to miss a lot? The costume. That costume would never happen nowadays. <laughs> you have a character named Green Lantern, and you put him in a red shirt and a purple cape. Was it kind of ridiculous? Sure, but it was also distinctive. I remember the first time I was at a con and saw someone dressed in that costume. I had seen better, more professional-looking costumes that day, but I gotta say, it was my favorite because it was exactly what you see on the page. No apologies. I'll miss Alan. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I guess the other thing we glazed right over was uh, how Alan Scott popped up in the Solomon Grundy miniseries. Uh, drawn and actually was drawn and written by Scott Collins, mm -hmm. uh, where the battery explodes and Alan has to will all the pieces back together and reform the battery. The battery's like, help me! Yeah, that, that Solomon Grundy was a good series. It was terrific. It was a fantastic <laughs> series. You know, I have the trade. I've only ever read the one issue of it that we did for the show that one time. I am going to go on record as suggesting we cover it for Halloween. Okay. Sounds good. The 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 trade? Yes. Yeah, that works for me. I I, I have yet to buy it. Um but I, I've been it's on my list of stuff to get because Scott's a friend now since that interview, so I wanna give it a read. Have you talked um, to him since that interview? Yeah. Yeah. I've talked to him multiple times, you know, I've asked him where he's at as far as art stuff and he he can't say because, you know, I haven't seen him solicited that much um, in any other things. But he says he's got some projects in the works and stuff, so he'll keep me updated. Um, let's see. Last comment we have is from Jacob, um, who's been wanting this uh, particular spotlight for a while. He wasn't able to be uh, on the show tonight for various reasons. Um, but the comment he did leave is, there's a lot I'd love to go over, but where to really start? So I'll keep it as basic as possible. The reason I truly love Alan Scott is because he truly is a regular guy with a good heart. Even with all the power that he has had and through everything he has been through, he is the type of person I, want, I would be honored to be like. Caring, supportive, loyal, willing to make the difficult decisions, high idealist, trustworthy, classical code of honor, a father, and best of all, a true friend. In an odd way, he reminds me of my grandfather and seems to represent all the qualities that he tried to instill in me. Sure, Kyle is the artist, Guy is the hothead, John is the military type, and Hal's the cocky pilot. 
But Alan, he is the one that we as normal people and readers can easily identify with the most. Very nice. It's good to see people who appreciate Alan, you know, because the character doesn't get that much spotlight. Kind of sucks that it happens after they've decided to stop publishing that version of him, but still, it's nice to know he was loved. And still is loved. So all of those stories, just because they're not making new stories with them doesn't mean that all of those other ones are gone. You know, and especially with the hopeful, hopefully digitalization of comics going forward, back issues will become easier to come by. So old Alan Scott stories, whether we're talking about the stuff from the 40s or just random stuff he popped in throughout the 90s and 2000s, like Battle Still, like it, Alan Scott material, that's the version you prefer, will be easier to come by than ever. So, here's hoping for that. <laughs> okay. Have we run out of Alan Scott things to say? I, I mean, I, uh, I think that's that's a pretty good Alan Scott spotlight. I think so, too. I think yeah. we, should, we should probably end it on a high note. <clears throat> Oh, what can I say to ruin it this time? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I guess that works. <laughs> okay, well, if you would like to contact us, you could do so at lanterncast at gmail.com. Uh, you can go to our website, lanterncast.com. We have links to our forum, Facebook page, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Um, we've been posting some uh, some news and some some blogs over there also now, so uh, you might want to check every once in a blue moon. Um, you know, as we you know get more and more information on there, uh, post a little more regularly. Uh, maybe uh, maybe you might want to set your computers to to go there a little more frequently, but uh, it's definitely worth checking out. There's also a gallery on there. Uh, got a lot of our sketches from cons and stuff. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Just uh, do a search for LanternCast. Um, if you have been subscribing to us on, on iTunes and you would like to leave us a review, um, those are always awesome because it tells other people that there are people out there that really do enjoy our podcast. So, uh, what else? Uh, voicemail? 708-Lantern? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. 708-Lantern. And uh, we promise to get to those very, very soon. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Next week. Swear to God. <laughs> just gotta, mer- just got to pull back the curtain and just reveal everything. No, if this doesn't happen next week, I want them all to come after you. Yeah. Chad's already prepping the burlap sack. You can hear it. I hear nothing. That's right. You'll hear nothing. Just sounds weird. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> happy birthday, Alan Scott. Yeah, happy seventy second. Sorry it ended with your death. Is that is that it? Did we get everything? Yeah. Uh, we're on iTunes. Coreconjecture.blogspot.com. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I encourage y'all to go there not just to read my stuff, um, but just seriously to check out that post about Martin O'Dell and just watch those uh, those interviews with him from 1994. And maybe yeah. maybe if one of these guys would review my 
my blog post something. Like I have it. I have it right now up on my screen, waiting for us to end this damn episode. So quit your bitching. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh. Okie doke. Good night. Good night, everyone. Good night.